Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. This morning as we begin a brand new message series here at Lakeside, James chapter 1 within God's Word. Recently I was over at uh, my daughter's house and I was taken to their half bathroom. And as I stood in Pastor Ryan and Julie's half bathroom, I was in shock. Julie and Ryan have taken a sledgehammer and have busted out all the wall tile, all the floor tile. In fact, Pastor Ryan, when he used the sledgehammer to bust out the very last, the very last piece of tile, he slipped and hit a water pipe, and it was Niagara Falls. Got it capped, screamed out to his wife, who turned the water off. But I, I, I turned to both of them, and I said, I can't believe you're renovating and remodeling your bathroom. You're doing it all yourself. I don't even know how to do that. And if I don't know how to do that, I can't believe my daughter and son-in-law would know how to do that. And I said, how are you learning to do this, Ryan? He said, I YouTubed it. I YouTubed it. The how-to is found on YouTube. I'm doing it all myself. I said, more power to you, brother. If you want to know the essence of the book of James, as we begin a brand new message series in the book of James, and this will take us to the end of the year, five Sundays, five chapters, the essence of the book of James is how to live the Christian life. It's a how-to manual. Too often we in the church tell you how you should live, but we don't tell you how to live the victorious, abundant life, the Christian life, the great life, the fun life of being a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. The book of James is a how-to manual for this. Who was James? Hmm? Was he one of the disciples of Jesus? No. In fact, in fact, he disparaged Jesus. He cut Jesus down. He rejected Jesus during those three years of ministry. And then he came to faith after the resurrection. This James is the only writer in the Bible that grew up with Jesus. This is the half-brother of Jesus. Can you imagine? Written around 61 A.D., this book is written not only to Christians, it's written to Christians that are suffering. They're under persecution. The times are intense. They're going through it. Perhaps you're going through it this morning. James is God's word to you. If there was any verse, any verse that would be the heart of the book of James, it would be James chapter 2, verse 26. James 2.26 says this, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. People were bragging about their faith. James said, what you believe doesn't 
stack up with me. Even the demons believe, and they shudder with fear. You brag about your faith. I'll point to my works. My works demonstrate my faith. To understand the book of James, you need to understand the balance between faith and works. I have a little video I've prepared for you that will introduce our message series. Faith works. This is the message of James, that we, in our own ability, cannot stand in the face of adversity. We could never find the strength to trust without faith because we don't have the capability to see above the trials that we meet to keep our eyes focused on the king while counting the situation we are currently experiencing as joy faith works this is the essence of James we don't work to be saved we work because we are saved without faith without works we too quickly become that man in the mirror staring at his face but then forgets the way he looks as soon as he turns away but with faith with works we stay steadfast on this journey progressively sanctified knowing we'll be perfected once we reach the other side faith works this is the cry of James, that faith apart from works can never be sustained, that in every day and in every way we should see this truth proclaimed because it's faith that makes us doers of the word, not just hearers. It's faith that keeps us humble, not proud. It's faith that directs our tongues to bless, not to curse. It's faith that causes us to show mercy, not judgment. It's faith that leads us to true religion, not its empty substitute. And it's faith that's causing us to preach the good news to every tribe, tongue, and nation with every breath that we breathe. And it will be faith that causes us to worship our God for all eternity. This is the message of James. Faith works. Did you enjoy that? Let's give the glory to God. Faith works. If you want to follow along in a study guide this morning, we'll begin this morning. I understand that you had readers that read James chapter 1 because I wanted you to get the, the spirit of James chapter 1 before we began preaching this morning. You have the scripture on your sermon study guide. It'll appear on the screen. James 1 verse 1, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Consider it pure joy. Wow, pastor. Now this is my kind of book. I love this part of the Bible. You know, I love this joy thing. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? Say what, pastor? How can you be joyful when you have trials, tough times, problems, troubles? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Would you circle that word perseverance? It's very important. Your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish, finish. 
Would you circle that word finish? We'll end up the message with that. Finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God, fill in the blank, brings trials into our lives to make us more successful by producing enduring faith. Enduring faith, you see, brings overall spiritual growth. This is faith that just won't let go of the things of God. It won't stop trusting God. This is faith that persists. This is faith that has muscles. This is a man or a woman of God who has real spiritual character, real spiritual maturity because they've gone through the tough times and in the tough times they've learned to trust God. And by learning to trust God, the Lord has built within them a God confidence that cannot be easily shaken from them. What trees, what trees have the best and the, the most expensive, the most enduring, the hardest wood, the most desirable wood? Trees that grow in the valley or on the mountaintops where the wind grows, uh, blows the, the coldest? What trees? The, the valley or the mountaintop trees? Mountaintop trees. God allows us to go through tough times to produce tough people of tough faith. Why does the teacher give you a test? Because he or she wants to make your life miserable? Why does the coach make you run laps? Because he does not like you? Why does the drill sergeant cause you to go through basic training where it feels like uh, you're in the ninth level of hell? Because he despises you? The teacher wants to make you smarter more successful. The coach wants you to be a winner. And the drill sergeant like Frank Mastretta over here wants you to not only live and have life, but to be victorious in battle. The Lord allows tough times, troubles, valley experience, suffering experiences to come into our lives. And don't, don't, don't even go there. That somehow it slipped by God's notice that you're suffering. That somehow things are out of control or God's up on the throne wringing his hands wondering what he's going to do next. God is never surprised by anything that would come into your life that is problematic. He has allowed it because he wants to make you more successful, more effective. He wants to make you more mature. He wants to teach you, ingrain within you, God confidence so that as you trust him and cast your cares upon him that cares for you in that problem, you will be more successful. You will be more uh, worthy in the kingdom. You'll be a stronger believer for him. In James 1.3, the word testing is translated from the Greek word dokimion, which means something put to the test for the purpose of proving its value, its authenticity, how genuine it is. What's the difference between a lump of coal and a diamond? Pressure! The pressure, the intense pressure, caused that lump of coal to be a valuable diamond. Listen, 
If you're going through a terrible valley right now, if you're confronting a battle, if you're walking through a storm right now, who's in control? Romans 8.28 declares, God works for the good on all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. There is nothing that comes to your life by accident. God is going to work it to the good, no matter what happens. I don't know about you, when I go through a tough time, a problem, when I suffer, I want deliverance now. I want healing now. <laughs> I, I want to get out of the jam now. God might delay suffer or delay deliverance. He might delay healing. He might delay victory in that matter. Because he's more desirous to be able to make you more valuable for the kingdom. He has a long-range plan. He has an eternal perspective. If we do not learn how to trust God in the here and now, we will never realize the glory of the hereafter. If we're not focused on the hereafter, we'll never learn how to cope with the here and now. Dokimion, that Greek term, it literally refers to the gold smelter, the gold refiner, who would turn up the heat until the impurities would rise up in the molten gold. He would skim off the dross, the tin, the impurities, and make that gold, refine that gold so it becomes of greater value. Most old Christians have heard that analogy before. But what you haven't heard is that the gold refiner keeps refining, keeps refining, keeps applying the heat, keeps applying the pressure, keeps uh, applying the intensity of that flame until he sees his reflection in the gold. The Lord wants to be Lord in you and I. He wants to conform us to his image. Jesus needs to be Jesus in you. The Lord wants to see a reflection of his son Christ Jesus in your life. That's why you're going through the valley. That's why you're dealing with the problem. That's why you're dealing with the trouble. And God is delaying deliverance. Your part, my part, keep trusting him. Keep trusting him. Keep walking with him. Keep talking to him. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you when we rightly respond to our troubles. Consider it pure joy when we rightly respond to our trials, our testings. No matter what, God brings spiritual maturity. God forms the man, forms the woman that he is desiring. He has a long-range plan. We want deliverance now. He has the eternal perspective. One, one staff appreciation day, number of years ago, I took the team, uh, our pastoral team and, and the secretaries, I took them over to Dave and Buster's. This was years ago. My youth pastor at that time was Pastor Hal Beringer's son, Pastor Hal and Linda Beringer's son, 
David Beringer, who is now a senior pastor in Kalamazoo. And David did something in the arcade that I've never seen anybody do. It, 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 it almost sickened me as I watched. They had a shocking machine, an electric shocking machine there, where you hold on, you, and they probably don't have it any longer. They probably, you know, banned it or something. But as you hold on to two bars, it, it made you feel like a surge of electricity was going through you. And everybody was seeing how long they could hold on to it. I came and sat down. Okay, I'm done. I do not like electricity. Shocking electricity that courses through me. That boy, he held on. He, his hair went straight up. His whole body is vibrating. Maybe it was the fact he couldn't let go. But he just kept holding on and holding on and holding on. That's what God wants you to do when you're walking through trials and testings and problems. He's seeing if you'll hold on to his promises, which are yea and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. He wants to see if you hold on to his person. He wants to see if you hold on to his presence. He wants to see if you'll hold on to his power and keep trusting him no matter what. In the so doing of it, he is creating a man and a woman of God, a victory and maturity. Be aware of that. Let the epitaph of your life be, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. A major key to our relationship with God. Look at James 1 verse 5. If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him. He'll gladly tell you. He is always ready to give a bountiful supply of wisdom to all who ask him. He will not resent it. But when you ask him, be sure that you really expect him to tell you. I want you to circle that word expect. For a doubtful mind will be as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And every decision you then make will be uncertain as you turn first this way and then that. If you don't ask with faith, don't expect the Lord to give you any solid answer. Expectation. Expectation. Expectation is a key aspect to our walk of faith with God. Would you write that down? When Israel left the land of bondage, what was the land of bondage that Israel left, ancient Israel? Egypt. And they journeyed through the wilderness and saw the miracles of God. Manna, water out of the rock, God making a way where there seemed to be no way. The pillar of cloud by day. The pillar of fire by night. And then they came to the very border. They came to the very threshold of the promised land. And what did they do? Lord, <laughs> you haven't failed us yet. And you're not going to fail us in the future. Lord, we're going to go in and possess it. Is that what they said? There's giants in the land. God has brought us to kill us. There's giants and we seem like grasshoppers compared to them. God brought us here to kill us that we may die. We want to go back to Egypt. They failed to possess the promise. They failed in expectation. In fact, God said... 
I heard what you said. You can read this in Numbers 14. I heard what the people have said, and I will give them exactly what they have confessed. Watch what you say. God is. Watch what you confess. God is. Because they fail to have expectation in a God who will not and cannot fail us because they failed in their expectation. God said you're going to have to run laps around the desert for 40 years and I'm going to give you exactly what you asked for. You'll die in the desert and I'll have your children. I'll raise up your children to possess the promised land. Countless lives... Countless Christians have missed God's best by embracing excuses instead of expectation, by seeing themselves as victims instead of victors. Victims use a lot of I can't language. I can't have a better marriage. I, I can't be free from my, my habit and my addictions. I, I can't be successful with my business. I can't be healed from my cancer. I, I can't witness to my loved ones. I, I can't uh, uh, love or be loved by somebody. I, I can't overcome my problems. I just can't. I just can't. Paul destroys the I can't syndrome in 10 words. What does Paul say? I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Hallelujah. Remember, you find miracles in cans, never in cannots. When you start confessing, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, you're fostering a miracle mentality. You need to begin to confess. You need to begin expectation. You need to begin saying, in the name of Jesus, I can have a better marriage. In the name of Jesus, I can be free from the chains of alcohol that seem to bind me. In the name of Jesus, I can be healed from this dreaded disease. In the name of Jesus, I can conquer these giants and I can climb this mountain. They're going to be helping pastor a little bit later on in the service. They haven't walked out. In the name of Jesus, I can. A small boy, a small boy was sent to bed by his father. And five minutes, five minutes, five minutes later, his, his father heard this voice call from the bedroom. How many have heard this? Dad! What? Can you bring me a drink of water? No. You had your chance. Lights out. Go to sleep. It's late. Five minutes later. Dad! What? I'm thirsty. I'm going to die without a drink of water. I told you no. If you ask again, if you ask again, I'll have to come in there and spank you. Five minutes later. Dad! What? When you come in to spank me, can you give me a drink of water? Now that's expectation. That's expectation. Dad, 
demonstrates expectation. Hallelujah. It's vital to take this faith attitude of expectation into your prayer time and, and release it in praise instead of pleading. Too many of us spend too much time begging and pleading in prayer. Listen, God is not deaf. Once you make your request known, once you make your petition known, God is able to hear it the first time. Once you make your petition known before the Lord, begin to thank Him for the deliverance that's coming. Begin to thank Him for the healing that is coming. Begin to praise Him that victory is already yours in Christ Jesus. That's expectation. That allows your God to be high and lifted up and filled with glory and honor and power. I ask you again, I've asked you this before, but I'll ask it again for our guests here this morning. When Israel marched around the walls of Jericho, when did Israel praise the Lord? When did Israel give a shout of praise before or after the walls came down? Before. When King Jehoshaphat and his army were invaded by three, three large nations, three large armies, Jehoshaphat had the choir as the elite troops, I'd have the ushers. He had the choir leading the troops into battle. When did they praise the Lord? Before or after the victory? When Paul and Silas were in chains in that Philippian jail and all hope was lost. They had been beaten and they were in bondage in that innermost dungeon. When did they praise the Lord at the midnight hour? Before or after the earthquake came and set them free? Before. What does that teach us? If you want to receive from God, if you want to see a pathway to the miraculous and not short-circuit God's best in your life, learn <laughs> to praise the Lord in advance of the miracle. Learn to foster a miracle mentality. Learn to confess, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. If God be for me, who can be against me? All the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Greater is he that's within in me than he that's within this world. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Confess the promises of God. Confess the faithfulness of God. Declare yourself, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Move in God's perspective of your life. Move in God's perspective of your life. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. A Christian who doesn't amount to much in this world should be glad. What? You know, so much in the Bible seems upside down. It is, according to the world's perspective. That's why it's freeing. That's why it's truth. A Christian who doesn't amount to much in this world should be glad. Now remember, James has just said, consider it pure joy when you have problems. <laughs> now he says, when you don't amount to much, be glad. When you don't amount to much in this world's eyes and perspective, be glad. Because in the Lord's sight, 
you are what? Great. Underline that verse 10. It's the theme of that whole portion. But a rich man should be glad that his riches mean nothing to the Lord, for he will soon be gone like a flower that has lost its beauty and fades away, withered, killed by the scorching summer sun. So it is with a rich man. They will soon die and leave behind all their busy activities. James here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has given us balanced perspective. The problem many times with people, they either think too lowly of themselves or too highly of themselves. James brings the right balance. But I would dare say that most of the counseling issues that we deal with, with Christians, is this. Thinking too lowly of themselves. Listening to what the devil says in their ears. When he whispers, you're unworthy. You're a sinner. God doesn't hear your prayers. God is angry with you. You are going through that problem, that trouble, that suffering because God is punishing you. He's angry and mad at you. You're a nobody. Have you heard him whisper in your ear like that? I have. I have. One of the places I used to run to when I'd go to the carnival was the House of Mirrors. Back when I was growing up, there was a certain mirror that I would run to. As a little kid, I would run to the mirror that would make me look tall. Tall and skinny. Now I just run to the mirror that makes me look skinny. <laughs> How you see and feel about yourself is your self-image. How you see yourself, your self-image, your self-esteem, will be one of the greatest determinators in your life for success or failure. How you perceive yourself. Our self-perception is largely formed from the mirrors we've grown up with. James emphasizes the importance of gaining God's perspective in our lives. Our self-perspective has been birthed and formed by the mirrors we have grown up with our entire life. Our parents were mirrors. Our siblings were mirrors. Our friends were mirrors that we looked into and gained our own self-image. What kind of mirrors did you grow up with as a child, as a young person, did you grow up with the phantom father, the missing mother mirror? You're not worthy of my time, this mirror said. I've got more important things to do. Did you grow up with the mirror that cursed your economic potential? You'll never amount to anything, this mirror says. Did you grow up with the mirror that cursed your intellectual potential? A mirror that constantly said, Hey, stupid! Come over here, dummy! You jerk! Did you grow up with the mirror that cursed 
your physical appearance. Oh, honey, come on over here and sit on daddy's lap. Why are you crying? You're crying about how you look? Listen, honey, you just can't get a peach out of a potato. And face it, you'll always be a potato. What kind of a mirror did you grow up with? What kind of a mirror did you constantly look into and gain your self-perspective? The perfectionistic mirror? I'll tell you, if there's a wrong way to do it, you'll find it. The playing favorites mirror. Why can't you be more like your brother? The mirror that cursed your very existence. I wish, I wish we never had you. That gives you a little taste of the kind of situations we counsel. The mirrors that people grew up with. I know we shouldn't play the blame game and blame everything on our upbringing or our parents, but all of us have grown up with mirrors. And as you gaze and focus into it, you gain your self-understanding. Poor self-image is Satan's weapon of choice. One of the greatest reasons for fragmented families, one of the greatest reasons for mixed up, devastating divorces and marriages poor self-image. You show me somebody with a poor, lousy self-image, a poor self-perspective, and I'll show you someone that is unable to love or be loved. Satan uses poor self-image to ruin our relationships and our potential to keep you from God's best. Remember Israel, they said, Israel at, on the threshold of the promised land said, they're giants and we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. Poor self-perspective will keep you from God's best. Let me ask you some questions. Who are you? Who are you? No, I'm not asking for your name. John Smith or Mary Brown. Who are you? I'm an engineer, Pastor, uh, or I work at the hospital. I'm not asking you what you do. It's not a doing question, it's a being question. Who are you? I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a wife. I'm not asking you a relational question. I'm asking about your identity. Who are you? Well, I'm six six foot even and little over 200 well a lot over 200 pounds now <laughs> i'm not asking you about your physical appearance you could lose your legs and lose your arms and you would not cease being you your identity is not bound up in your in your physical body who are you christian who are you there are so many that walk around with this spirit of oppression because they're confessing what the enemy is whispering in their ear. I'm nothing. I'm a sinner. I'm a nobody. A nobody. If you're seeing yourself as a nothing, if you're seeing yourself as a nobody, a, a sinner, in the name of Jesus, stop it. Stop it. That is terrible, negative confession that's diametrically opposed to the kingdom plan of God. It comes not from heaven. 
It comes from the, it's spawned in the laboratories of hell, the pit of hell. Christian, you are what God declares you to be in his son, Christ Jesus. God's word says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Listen, God knows you're not perfect. He knows you still have some faults, some failings. But he sees you through the lens of his son Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, God sees Jesus all over you. And God has this perspective of you. This is my child in whom I'm well pleased. I need you to carefully stand up right now. I don't want you to spill your cup or, or dislodge your, your communion wafer there. Can you carefully stand up right now? That'll wake some people up. Amen. Stand up. Because you can't do this sitting down. Amen. This is a spiritual exercise. Can I be your spiritual coach? Can I take you through a spiritual exercise right now on your identity? Can we come against old Slewfoot, the, the, the devil, the enemy right now? Can we come against him who says you're a nobody and Jesus says you're a somebody? Okay, would you repeat after me? Are you ready? I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am chosen. I'm adopted into God's family. I am an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm a saint. I'm not what my past says I am. I'm not what the world says I am. I'm not what the devil says I am. I'm a born again, blood washed, Bible believing, demon fighting, soldier of the cross. I'm a child of God. I'm on my way to heaven. And I'm shouting glory. Oh, give him praise and glory this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, what would happen? What would happen if you'd wake up every day and declare that? Huh? Instead of looking in the mirror and saying, the old gray Mary ain't what it used to be. Can you imagine standing in front of that mirror and begin confessing who you are and whose you are in Christ Jesus? How your day, your week would be so much different? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Always remember, God believes in you more than you believe in yourself. The Lord has said in Jeremiah 29, verse 10, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and to give you a future. God has made no plans for your failure. God has made no plans for you to be junk. You're not a nobody, you're a somebody in Christ Jesus. Overcoming the devil's threads. Overcoming the devil's threads. James chapter 1 verse 18. 
1 verses 13 through 18, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Now, James is going to delineate a strategy here. James is going to delve into counterintelligence. One of the principles of warfare is this. If you want to gain victory over the enemy, you must first know your enemy. You must first gain intelligence of the enemy. We won World War II in the South Pacific because we cracked the Japanese military code. We gained intelligence of the enemy. This is what James is going to do right now for us. He's going to show you the enemy's method of attack. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gets birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he has created. It's easy to read scripture and it goes right over people's heads. So I've asked, I've asked the young people to help me demonstrate Satan's strategy of attack. Write it down. The Apostle James has delineated Satan's temptation, attack, into six stages. Six stages. If you want to have these six stages, you can circle it in the Scripture or write it down yourself. Six stages. Stage one, the curiosity stage. James said in verse 14, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, circle it, he is dragged away. Young people, you're going to have to get in front of me, not behind me, so they can see you. There you go. Way to go, guys. We've had no rehearsal. This is called impromptu. How about right up here, guys? There you go. There you go. I want you to notice these guys have come in. They took a look, take a look at the Bible. You know, being a Christian is a bore. Praying, reading the Bible, it's a chore. There's got to be something out there that's more fulfilling, more satisfying, more gratifying. I wonder, I wonder what we can find that could be a real turn on. Listen. James said that when Satan goes fishing for souls, the first thing he uses in his method of attack is our curiosity. It's called the curiosity stage. Yes. The next stage is the enticement stage. James talked about, in verse 14, enticement. Here, Satan shows up on the scene. Boy, doesn't Cindy, Cindy Zaglowski do good on the keyboard. Here Satan entices them to believe that what he offers is fun. What he offers is satisfying. 
that what he offers is going to be a real turn-on. What is the devil offering this time? The devil is offering his threads. I call this the devil's threads. He tells these guys, if you wear my threads, you'll be cool. You'll be popular. If you put on my threads, it'll satisfy. You'll be a part of the popular crowd, the hip crowd, the with it crowd. My threads, the devil's threads. Stage three. Now the devil moves into the, what's called, James calls it the conception stage. Then after desire, in verse 16, has conceived. Conceived. This stage is where the devil lies to them. Oh, you'll enjoy this. This is where the devil says, you, you'll desire this. This is the decision stage. Here, our, our guys, they decide to try it. Because the devil says, if you try it, you'll like it. And so the devil ties one loop around their wrists. One loop of the thread around their, their wrist. Just taste it. Just try it. You'll like it. But they know it's wrong. They know it's wrong. So they break free this first time. Sure. The conception stage. It's a decision stage to first taste sin. But the devil's not content with us just tasting sin. He takes us to stage four. This is called, James calls this the birth of sin stage. Verse 15, it gives birth to sin. Here we have actual disobedience and rebellion to God. Here, uh, uh, Satan is, is tying up their wrists. Again, with this loop. Yes. Here, Satan says, you're all dressed up with my threads. He puts five loops around their wrists. The devil is saying, don't you look nice? You look awesome. You look cool. But they know it's wrong. They know it's wrong. And so they struggle to break free. They struggle to break free. And even though the thread is tight, the bondage is strong, they finally break free of it. Temptation. But Satan has a goal. He doesn't want us just to taste sin. He doesn't want us just to experiment with sin. What is Satan's goal with temptation and sin. Stage number five, the sin maturing stage. And sin when it is full grown. I want you to know that Satan's goal, Satan's objective, it's not finished. It is Satan's plan to make sin a habit. He wants it to be an addiction. He wants it to be full grown. He wants it to be matured. He wants it to be fully ripe so that it won't be one sin. It won't be a few sins. It is Satan's goal with the devil's threats to make sin habitual, addictive. He wants to see us hooked. 
And now, our young men, our young men, our young men that thought they could break things on their own. Satan, you weren't supposed to put it around their necks or their hips. I don't know what you're doing. Now our, our men try to break free on their own. They struggle. They strain. They use all of their self-discipline. They use all of their knowledge and their wisdom. They use all of their own human energy and skill, but they can't break free from the enemy. They are now slaves of the enemy. They are now in bondage to the devil. They are now captive. They're held hostage. But Satan's not done with them yet. Because the apostle James takes us to stage number six. It's called the spiritual law stage. Verse 15, sin ultimately gives birth to what? Death. Death. There's no hope. There's no hope. Bondage. Death destruction the wages of sin is what death no one can circumvent in their own strength and their own will this law the wages of sin is death it gives birth to death physical death spiritual death eternal death there's only one hope there's only one hope who is that hope Oh, is that hope? Jesus. Jesus sends his angel. Jesus directs his angel. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But our Lord has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Satan, get out of here. You have no power. You have no authority in this place. Amen. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. Get out of here. Amen. And how would, you, how would you respond? How would you respond to heaven if you were set free? How would you respond? Huh? How would you respond to our Lord if you were set free by one of his angels? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Pastor Ryan was supposed to bring out a male Jesus, but since we got a female, angel, angel, we changed the, the skit. Give them a hand. Didn't they do a good job? Praise the Lord. We have a great youth group here. If you're not a part of the youth group at Lakeside, you're missing something. What's God's plan for you and I? I'm closing up rapidly. James chapter 1, verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. Make it your number one determination in life to be an overcomer, a finisher in the race of faith called life, and you'll receive the crown of life. Have you watched the Oscars? Have you watched the Olympics? And you have thought, I'm a failure. Listen, those medals, those crowns are corruptible. They'll pass away. 
But for you that persevere, for you that endure this race of faith, for you that are finishers, God has reserved the crown of life. And on that day of days, He will say, Well done, thou good and faithful. And He Himself will place the crown of life upon your head. Glory to God. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Did you hear the news of what took place just two weeks ago? Just two weeks ago, Master Sergeant Joseph Wheeler of our Special Delta Forces went into northern Iraq where more than 70, 70 Iraqis, Iraqi soldiers were about to be executed and lose their head from ISIS. They were chained to the walls and then our special forces moved in and freed every single one of them. No casualties except for Master Sergeant Joseph Wheeler, 39 years of age, the first American combat soldier to lose his life to ISIS. Can you imagine being chained to that wall? They had already dug the grave. Can you imagine being chained to that wall in that prison and saying, no, no, I, I don't want to be set free. I believe it's God's will for me to go in this direction. Uh, uh, I'm going to wait for something else to, better to come my way. That it would have been the height of ignorance and stupidity. How do you feel those 70 who were set free and given a second chance at life? How do you think they feel about Sergeant Wheeler who laid down his life for them? Oh, you know where I'm going. The Bible says that we'll take the crown, the crown of life, and we'll cast it at the feet of Jesus because He is the greatest finisher of all. The Bible says on that day of days, fill in the blank with me, on that day of days, that we will exalt Him and worship Him and adore Him like no other. We celebrate communion today because of our overcoming Savior and Lord who went the distance for us. And He cried out in that hour, It is finished. What is finished? Death is finished. Sin is finished. Satan is finished. A defeated foe. The debt has been paid. And we have the crown of life as we're overcomers in Him. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask and pray this morning that, Lord, as we receive this Holy Communion, that, Lord, we'll honor You with our last breath because You laid down Your life to set us free. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed here this morning, 
we have invited everyone that is mature enough to understand communion to receive the Lord's Supper this morning. But I warn you, if you're not in right relationship with God, if you do not have a personal commitment with Jesus Christ, you cannot partake of communion. To do so, the Bible says, would bring down a curse upon you. How about it? Isn't it time you would say yes to Jesus? I'm going to pray a prayer this morning just before we receive Holy Communion. If you're not right with God and you would like to be, if you're not walking with Jesus and you want to do it, if you don't have a home in heaven and this is your desire and you want to be included in a prayer that will give you life, real life, would you just lift up your hand right now to demonstrate your faith? If you want to be included in this prayer that will give you a home in heaven and set you free from sin and give you a new life in Jesus and partake in holy communion with us. Demonstrate your faith right now and just lift up your hand. Your hand lifted up says to me, Pastor, I want to be included. I want to know that I know that I'm right with God. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see your hand. How many more? Pastor, I want to know that I know that I have a home in heaven. I want to know that I'm right with God. I want to partake of Holy Communion. Yes, up in the balcony. I see that hand. God bless you. How many more? I don't want to leave anyone out. Your hand lifted up says, Jesus, be Jesus in Keep those hands lifted up this morning, and I want you to pray this prayer with me. In fact, everyone pray this prayer right now. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I come to you right now, and I confess I am a sinner. But Jesus, you're my Savior. Save me from my sin. I believe you paid the price for me. You died for me, and I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for cleansing me, for changing me. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. I receive this as I believe it. Amen.